You are listening to the Dark Fantastic Podcast. Welcome to this new episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, AK, and I've got some great things lined up for you. If you're a fan of blockbusters, comic books, and ghostbusters, stay tuned as I have a great guest who's going to talk about all this and more right after this. Summer, 1990. A teenage boy in trouble. An evil that only comes out at night. Only a straight-to-VHS movie can save him. From A. Kale, the author of, Beware the Night. Bad Dreams. A thrilling horror novel, now available on Amazon. Rated PG-13, for some thematic elements and mild violence. My guest today is a prolific and multi-talented artist and writer. He has done work for IDW Publishing, including his critically acclaimed work on the Ghostbusters line of comic books, and later, the official Tobin's Spirit Guide. He's also worked with many companies, including Dynamite, Insight Editions, and Marvel, on properties such as Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Galaxy Quest, Red Sonia, among many, many others. He joins me on the show to talk about Ghostbusters, meeting a legend, his ear for dialogue, and, for artists, the importance of being a voracious reader. Please welcome Eric Burnham. Anyway, th- thank you very much for uh, for joining me on the show. Yeah, happy uh, to. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, because I'm not, uh, I, I, I've always been a casual fan of comic books, not like a diehard fan. So it's not, it's not usual for me to fo- follow a specific artist or a specific writer because you know I'm not really. That that much of a of, of a fan of the medium. I just like some of the stories, and uh, I've liked comic books since I was a kid. But I'm more of a a movie guy, basically. Mm-hmm. Sure. So so that's why uh, when I came upon your work and uh, discovered your work across so many, uh, you know, formats and uh, you know, adapting so many characters, I was really. Uh, I was I really loved your work and uh, it's, the stories are always interesting. Um, the way you, you deal with with these like properties and you know famous iconic characters is, is a bit surprising. But we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to start with uh, something that fascinates me, which is uh, how an artist fell in love with their work. So. How did your fascination with the comic books start, both as a reader and as a writer? Well, uh, as a reader, they were just they were just always around. Um, my uh, my dad had uh, some comic books. I was uh, he was he was relatively young when I was uh, born, so he still had some hanging around. And my grandpa, a lot of grandkids, a lot of cousins, so um, he had comics that were uh, laying around for when when the uh, grandkids visited. So they were always there. And uh, 
I just enjoyed picking them up, checking them out, reading, drawing along with uh, with some of the pictures, sometimes drawing in the books when I was a little younger. And when I was four, I told my mom that I wanted to make comics or be a magician. But, you know, I, my hands are not good enough for, for coin tricks. So I, I went with the comics. The um, yeah, no, the uh, the the books were just always there. And then um, they, they kind of solidified as important to me when I was five, we had a house fire and lost everything. And so uh, my grandpa gave me one of his comic books that were for the grandkids. I was able to keep it. It was the first thing that I owned uh, after we lost everything in a fire. So that kind of psychologically made them a little bit more important to me. You know, it was my, my first thing and I was aware of it. it you know, it was, it was stuck in my memory. And uh, you know, just just ran from there. So that's that's where I came from as uh, as a reader. They you know they they just meant a lot to me from being there from the beginning and also being a first possession. Um, as as a writer, I mean, I wrote a lot of different things before I got into comic books. I wrote prose. I did some. Uh, I guess it's technically fan fiction online, some original stories, and then some stories you know about uh, versions of other characters for fun, just to get out to an audience. I've written plays and and uh, short uh, screenplays and all kinds of other stuff before I eventually came to comics. And what that happened was uh, I was just, uh, I was unemployed and talking with friends on the internet uh, who were complaining about Marvel comics and DC comics, not being as good as they used to be. Um, and uh, one of the folks in the, in the chat that we were having uh, said, well, if we could do better, why don't we put our money where our mouth is? And we did an anthology project together. And from that anthology project, I met some other people and that got me my in at IDW to start writing other stuff. And I just kind of tripped into a career writing for uh, IDW and then later Marvel and Dynamite and, and so on. So um, it was a, a bit of a lucky road. Yeah, your story is very interesting because it's basically... Um... Because you basically, it, it wasn't really your intention growing up becoming a, a writer of comic books, right? I mean, when I was a little kid, I had something I wanted to do, but it wasn't something that I thought I would, <laughs> I thought I would end up doing. Uh, I don't know. I, I, for a good uh, chunk of time, I was working in broadcasting and I thought that's kind of where I would stay. Uh, and then, you know, a, a radio station I was working at, it got bought and everybody got laid off. I'm like, well, heck, now what am I going to do? <laughs> and yeah. um yeah that's that's when the uh that's when the first um the the uh hanging out with people online and talking about comics started so i mean yeah it uh it was definitely not intentional but i'm and, you know i'm, I'm glad I, I wound up here i like writing for audiences and it's it's fun so who are some of your favorite writers across different mediums oh boy um this is one of those questions that I always get wish I get asked ahead of time because I go blank <laughs> when I'm put on the spot. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I would have been asked like a week ago. I could have put together a list. It would have been great. Um, there are. Oh, gosh, boy, there there are um, there are bunches. Let me. You know what? I'm, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to open up my iPhone. I'm going to look at my Kindle app. <laughs> and see yeah, go uh, ahead that's what, yeah. whatever works yeah whatever yeah. works yeah yeah it's 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 a little bit of cheating but you know we'll we'll uh we'll get there um let's see well uh some of my my favorites from uh from comics um jm dematis or dematis i should say i mispronounced his name uh he wrote a lot of uh spider-man books 
and uh, the the funny Justice League of the 80s. I, uh, I love his stuff. Uh, Jerry Conway, another Spider-Man writer whose work I enjoy. Um, I Oddly enough, I mean, it doesn't really seem like something that pops up into my work, but I, uh, I really do. I, I got a, a book of uh, the collected works of Shakespeare when I was a kid. So I, I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the plays. Um, let's see. There is the uh, uh, Gregory McDonald's uh, Fletch books. I enjoy those. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a, a good knack for dialogue and um, boy, you know, I mean, it's it's anybody I can find who has who has a good knack for dialogue. Uh, Elmore Leonard is another one whose work I enjoy a lot. That's that's the kind of stuff that I just lap up. So, oh, and I should also add, um, there's a good chunk of uh, cartoonists, comic strip artists that I love as well. And uh, Charles Schultz and Bill Watterson from Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes are at the top of the list. I was able to think of something after all. I feel so much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, from, you know, interviewing different artists and writers, you know, in different fields, I always find that the best artists, uh, the best artists in their fields, you, the, the, the influences that they have or their favorite writers are not just in their field. Because when you read a lot of um novels for example or short story writers prose writers basically the best ones are usually the ones who like you uh, they they like uh, the, you know they read in their field of choice which is they read a lot of books and short stories but they also love movies and they also love plays oh and yeah that seems to yeah that seems to to uh, maybe to broaden the horizon a little bit for the writer and, and it makes the writer better so uh, you saying that you actually like crime novels, like those of like the Fletch novels and, mm-hmm. and Elmer Leonard and liking Shakespeare, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because what attracted me to your work and uh, the reason I reached out to you and wanted to talk to you is the quality of your writing. I'm not, I'm not saying that comic books in general are, uh, are not known for their quality because like Danny O'Neill and and a lot of other writers, they, you know, they have elevated and Alan Moore and all, all these people, they have elevated the, the comic book form and it has been going on for almost 100 years now, quality work. Uh-huh. But not, but there is a lot of, you know, not very good books. Let's put it this way. A lot of people just write comic books because it's easier to do. They are basically fanboys, especially people who emerged in the last 20 years. But there are people like you and, and as I said, Danny O'Neill and others who actually treat comic books um, with respect. Maybe that's the way to put it because the quality of the, of, of the dialogue, of course, because it's the main thing in comic books, but also the quality of the prose in general, the descriptive prose and the storytelling is, uh, is a bit elevated, which is, again, what attracted me to your work. And um, so it makes sense that you actually basically are a wide reader. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't say it because I was just talking uh, fiction. But uh, another thing that I've, I've really enjoyed is, is nonfiction. I read a lot of uh, oral history books. And uh, there's a science writer who's very funny called Mary Roach. And I love her work. But um, yeah, no, it's just, well, that's with any writer. I think they, the wider uh, range of uh, material you put in your head, the more ways you can uh, break it down and recombine it into something new 
that hasn't been put out there. And, um, you know, a, a, a line from a movie that doesn't go anywhere in that movie, but it sparks an idea and all of a sudden it's a whole new story or, you know, a, uh, a description in a book that, that conjures up something else completely. There's a million different ways and you're only going to find it if you consume as much as possible. Most of your work in comic books and uh, in merchandising, like board games and trading cards, which is also something you, you, you dabbled in, focuses on creating new stories for uh, characters from hugely popular franchises and, and properties like G.I. Joe, Back to the Future, uh, Ninja Turtles, and of course, Ghostbusters. So how do you prepare for a project based on such iconic characters uh, what kind of research do you do well um i look for a story first just a story idea and in the case of the ghostbusters i had watched those two movies but more than those two movies i've watched you know dozens of episodes of well all of the episodes of saturday night live uh, featuring those guys i've watched so many of their movies that came out in the 70s and 80s so their voices, to say nothing of, of interviews and such that they've done, so their voices are in my head, the cadences of speech. So if I come up with something amusing or interesting, a, a, a story nugget, their reactions, how they would react to that tends to help build the story. With something like G.I. Joe, um, you know, uh, on the one that I was working on, the G.I. Joe I was working on is based on the uh, the 80s cartoon. So I watched a few episodes of that cartoon. I looked for the kind of stuff that would be appropriate. And in that case, they did a little bit of everything. They had Egyptian gods and they had, you know, uh, tuddly little uh, stuffed animals that turned into giant monsters. And they had, you know, space and, and weather, uh, weather satellites and everything, you know. So everything was permissible in G.I. Joe. Um, Transformers, I mean, that was something that I watched a lot as a kid. So being familiar with it, with those, with so many of the things that I worked on, uh, was, was a big help. And I was lucky to be offered so many things I was already familiar with when I wasn't as familiar. I just, I looked for stuff that I could find that was, uh, that was similar. I sopped up as much as I could. And then I tried to apply it as best I could to writing a story for that. Red Sonia was one. I wasn't hundred percent sure. Cause I had read some of her old stories, but I wasn't, you know, 100% sure if I had her character down. So I just, I wrote her like I would write any other barbarian character. What would Conan do in this situation? Well, I guess that's what Red Sonia is going to do, that kind of a thing. Um, just basically, like I was, I was saying a couple of minutes ago, get as much uh, information, as much other stuff as you can, and, and uh, build something new from that. That's what I try to do with the stories. It, it's a little easier when there's a lot of TV shows or a lot of movies. Um, to draw from They're the the voices of of the uh, of actors or voice actors um can uh, can do wonders you know a, a simple phrase or a uh, a tiny story nugget they can build into big things just by well we have this what happens if this meets this well then what happens then what happens pretty soon there's a 10 page outline and you're ready to go so i mean um yeah, no, just uh, 
dumping into all the the wealth of material out there and and seeing what I can come up with is the the short version of that long-winded answer. So what was one of the more challenging uh, projects, you know, based on uh, on uh, on like uh, a, a popular IP, something that you were you weren't as familiar with maybe as as GI Joe or Back to the Future or Ghostbusters or even Red Sonia. Have you ever you know t- taken on a project that uh, that you know dealt with a property that you basically th- didn't know anything about? Um. Oddly enough, and I can't say what it is, but there's a project that I'm working on right now that was one of those. It's it's a project that that brings together two different properties, and I am very familiar with one of them, and the other one I was not familiar with at all, other than you know knowing it existed. So figuring that second property out has been it's been a little bit of a trick. <laughs> hopefully, uh, yeah. hopefully I'm getting it right. The editor's happy. It is based on two. Uh, Two properties from the 80s and 90s. So definitely there, there was uh, several movies and, and, uh, and such between the two properties. So people will, people will recognize them from movies as, as well as comics. I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. So when did you say it was coming out? I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I need to, to double check, but it's either um, coming out in July or it's coming out to be, it's, it's going to be something people can order in July and it'll be out in like September. I'm not sure which one of those is right, <laughs> but um, by July, everybody will know what it is. So you're done with it. You, you finished it. Uh, no, actually I, I only just, I only just started the, uh, the artist has started on the first issue and I've been, uh, I, I just started on it last month. I'm working on the second issue now. And the only reason I'm not further along is because I had, oh, it's one of those, those uh, periods of time where I just had a whole bunch of work at once, which I'm never going to complain about, but <laughs> it, yeah. it means that I have to, you know, bounce back and forth between, between uh, scripts and, and properties and, and uh, kind of reorient myself because they don't all uh, write the same. I, I don't write them the same. I got to get into a different headspace for some of them. And that, you know, takes me a little bit, not, not terribly long, but I mean, you know, it, it's, I, I gotta shake the brain up a little. Um, I want to move on to Ghostbusters, which is, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, basically because I think I saw it like many of my generation when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I love it, but it, it's such a, it's such a strange and weird blockbuster. It's what I, I always felt as someone from a filmmaking background, because basically that's my, my field, that's where like I work. Mm-hmm. So I've always felt, uh, since I saw it as a kid, that it was one of the most eccentric original blockbusters ever made. That's you know, if you fair. think about yeah. it, yeah, that's, that's basically Dan Aykroyd, basically, because he's such a, a strange guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been fascinated with Ghostbusters since I was a kid, and I, li- I like the, the cartoons, you know, there are like many of them, many mm-hmm. versions. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really aware that there were so many, you know, versions uh, of the Ghostbusters comics, you know, dating back to the, to, to the early 80s or mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I came to choose, you know, I just wanted to sample some of, the, some of these comic books because I wasn't really getting my Ghostbusters fix, basically, from any of the movies. You know, I've seen, I've seen the movies, of course, and I, I see them 
maybe once a year or once uh, every every couple of years but like all the you know the recent stuff you know hasn't been very very um satisfactory let's let's just let's just put it this way so i decided a friend recommended that i maybe i should take a look at uh, at some of the comic books and i went online and did some research and your comic books were like very highly recommended as maybe they they are the most loyal to to the voices of the characters and the tone of the original movies so i just tried one issue the very first issue of the ongoing ongoing series and i was just you know i i i was laughing i was you know smiling i was really enjoying the you know the callbacks and it's like it's it's a fun piece of work it's uh, it's smart and it's funny and it's very loyal again to to the tone so uh, i loved it and uh, and i'm reading it still you know i haven't finished all your uh, all your all, all your 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 writings on you know in in, in that uh, line because i i think there is the year one and uh, there is the ghostbusters versus transformers there is like a lot of them but i love them so uh i wanted to ask you how did you capture the characters voices you know so perfectly you mentioned earlier that you you were a fan and of course you know the movies and you watched uh, like their work in um, on SNL uh but again, how do you maintain that? How do you how do you maintain the freshness of the of the stories and the dialogue and you know and and the and the storytelling basically, while keeping very true to the to the original voices? Well, um, hmm, it's it's part. I, I it's like having. Um, uh, a musical ear a little bit with with cadences of speech i've i've been good at that it's it's one of the things that i'm i'm better at as a writer so hearing somebody with a very specific cadence of speech if i can hear enough of it i can i can mimic it and it also helps that people reading it know the voices so um they can they can put it into their head and translate it and and figure out how it should sound as well for the same reason they've they've seen all the movies and and uh, the interviews and the TV shows, so that's that's a big thing. As far as everything else, the 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 characters are are just they're they're just so well drawn from the movies. It's it's very easy for me to see how they would react to you know oh. a, a ninja turtle. Just you know, look at them go, huh? <laughs> I mean, they they fought a giant marshmallow man who was trying to destroy the world. Why would a ninja turtle or a transformer? Uh, phase them in any way it wouldn't um and yeah. then you know you you build from there it's just um i i wish i could take more credit for it it's just the characters are are so alive to me they're they're so well constructed that it's not hard to figure out how they would react when you throw something different in front of them my job has mostly been figuring out what kind of things i can throw in front of the characters and then from there it's easy enough to figure out how they would react it sounds really pretentious when I put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, actually, no, actually, it sounds, you make it sound simpler than it really is, I guess, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing to, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess I could steal the, uh, 
the line from Goodwill Hunting I could just play. <laughs> it just it's it's a thing that uh, that my brain is has gravitated to as as something that's easy to do. It's definitely not the kind of thing that um, would be an asset in any kind of other job. So I'm glad that I find myself writing comics. So yeah. I guess it helps that uh, that you're a fan. I think. Oh yeah. Of Thanks. of the of the franchise and of the players as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it just well, I mean, it, it can't hurt. It's if you're not a fan, it just becomes a slog. If you don't like what you're writing, and it, it everything takes longer, and it doesn't, you don't turn out a very good piece of work. So yeah, no, it's it's always a plus to be a fan. And again, luckily, I've been a fan of just about everything I've gotten a chance to write. Yeah, and it shows. Did you ever get any feedback from the original creators of some of the properties you've worked on? Um, so, yeah, I um, a few years ago at um, a Comic-Con, uh, Ivan Reitman joined us for a panel at, at San Diego, and uh, he hadn't read any of the comics up until the panel. But before he just did San Diego Comic-Con, he decided to read them and uh, he he approved of the approach and he thought that it it sounded right, read right, and looked right. So we were very excited about that. Um, Bob Gale on uh, Back to the Future, uh, he worked very closely with all the Back to the Future comics and was uh, intimately involved with approving or coming up with different ideas. The only time that was ever a problem, and I'm not saying he was wrong because he was right. I just wished he would have said something sooner, was I was adapting the Citizen Brown uh, comic book the based on the telltale video game and i'd gotten two and a half hours worth of cinematics a lot of exposition into 24 pages of comics and he said this is good but we don't have to do exactly what the what the video game did we can go other places and and expand the scope a little bit so we should do that and i had to write the script all the way over by the way it was better the rewrite he was right but again i just wish he would have told me before i had started <laughs> um but uh but yeah and and then um and then on ninja turtles um kevin eastman works with idw on the books so he was he was there with uh with his thoughts when they were needed and um encouragement so those properties um the the those were the ones where i i dealt with some of the folks who were there at the very beginning and were were creating the the ip from the ground up so i was just uh gratified that they didn't hate what i was doing and and uh and in in some cases i should say really enjoyed it yeah so i'm sure when you get feedback like that i'm sure it's just uh it's just you know the, the cherry on top basically yeah it is it really is it's it's always nice i mean i'm i'm paid and done and finished before the book hits the stands so i mean somebody hating it doesn't mean that I, I i don't get my money but it is like i said it is gratifying when uh fans and to say nothing of the creators but but uh but the readers enjoy the product so i mean yeah it's uh, it's it's a big part of why a lot of people write and i'm not alone in that is is to get a positive reaction from the audience so so uh is there a, a format that you haven't tackled yet that you'd like to try out? Well, um, you know, honestly, I, uh, I've done prose, I've done comics. Um, 
I've done, you know, short little, little plays as far back as, as high school. I really would like to do something longer than a short film. It's, you know, hopping mediums. I would, uh, I would have a blast doing that. I mean, um, I would also, since broadcasting is, is, was a big part of my career, you know, early on, I wouldn't mind doing something like a, like a radio play slash, um, you know, well, uh, a full cast podcast of, of a story. That would also be kind of fun. Those would be some interesting and different media to play in. But um, if I don't get the chance to do, you know, a TV or movie or, or an audio play or something like that, and I just stick with comics, I'm completely content with that because I do love the medium. So what are you working on now? Well, other um, than the secret project. Other than the secret, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are two secret projects. The, the other stuff that I'm working on, um, I am working on, I uh, actually just finished the G.I. Joe miniseries, which was based on the old uh, Sunbow cartoons. And I am working on, uh, also I finished, I'm waiting for notes, um, a, an official Ghostbusters cookbook, which in this case, I just figured out a way for the characters from the movie to introduce recipes that were written by uh, Jen Fujikawa. And um, is there anything else that I can mention? No, the other stuff is all unannounced. So <laughs> it's, it's a weird it's a place weird. where I've got, you know, uh, three or four other, uh, three or four other scripts, uh, three or four other things that are, are not fully announced that, um, or, you know, are, are mentioned, but, but there's no publication time announced that I can't quite mention. So um, actually, no, that's not true. I, uh, I don't have a publication date, but I am in the middle of the, the Alien Samurai Dinosaur Warriors, which, um, which is an original property that, uh, that I was, was brought on to do this right before. And that's fun, but I don't know when that's going to be coming out and be available for people to read. So um, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to hear that. But, um, but yeah, so the, the big things that are, that are on, the, uh, on the shelves, um, G.I. Joe, oh, Transformers Beast Wars, which will be ending in a few issues. And I, I finished up my run on that GI Joe transformers and then the ghostbusters cookbook, and then a couple of secret projects. That's what I'm keeping busy with. So I always like to, to ask that question uh, of all my, my guests, especially uh, creators, which of your books would you recommend to someone who has never read your work before to give them a taste of your style and get them hooked. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it depends on the specific reader. If it was somebody who was, you know, uh, coming from it as, you know, they're, they're not into comics. Well, I, I, I comic specific, I would probably suggest either uh, the Ghostbusters or the Citizen Brown the the uh, one of the ghostbusters trades probably the the uh the the first trade right out the gate it's it's an easy buy in it's it doesn't have you know the weight of other stories on it uh, citizen brown back to the future real easy if they liked um if they were superhero fans i might suggest i did a uh, an all ages spider-man story for idw called uh, uh marvel action spider-man uh that has my sense of humor uh, all over it and you know it's it's good for the superhero crowd um and then uh gosh i i think i think that's that's those those are the the best choices i uh 
I think some of the other stuff might be a little too niche or, or focused, but uh, it, just as far as general mainstream stuff, probably the, the Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and uh, the Spider-Man would be the easiest ones to, uh, to put in front of, of somebody who was curious. Well, Eric, thank you very much for your time and for joining me on the show. I was happy to, man. I, I appreciate the invite. Thank you. I'd like to dedicate this interview and this episode to Ivan Reitman, the director of Ghostbusters, one of the funniest and most original and most eccentric blockbusters in cinema history. This is hot, Ray. Symmetrical book stacking. Just like the Philadelphia Man's Turbulence of 1947. You're right, no human being would stack books like this. Listen! You smell something? Talk about telekinetic activity, look at this mess! Raymond, look at this. Ectoplasmic residue. Backman, get a sample of this. It's the real thing. When somebody blows their nose and you want to keep it. I'd like to analyze it. There's more over here. I'm getting stronger readings here. Whoa. Oh. Oh. Ah. This way. Come on. Oh. Duh. Egon, your mucus. This happened to you before? Huh. First time? I recently came upon this article titled Nostalgic for the Future by Edward Curtin, and I'll include a link to this article in the episode description. I'm mentioning the article because the idea of nostalgia has always been a somewhat controversial idea because some people think that Striving for nostalgia is a kind of silly romanticism and the type of conservatism that is not conducive to good ideas. And others think that nostalgia is something that's basically nice, that it makes people feel good, that it is a kind of balm and troubled times and that people when they are suffering or suffering from some kind of depression or are down in any way that nostalgia can help them remember better times and maybe overcome the trouble they are in at the moment. I'm going to read a uh, a couple of passages from from this article, Nostalgic for the Future by Edward Curtin. 
and I quote, For many people, and this is the prevalent understanding of nostalgia as an exclusively negative way of thinking, embittered nostalgia is their way of denying the present and the future, often by the fictitious creation of the good old days, when everything was supposedly so much better. But nostalgia can also be an impetus to create a better future, a reminder that good aspects of what has been lost need to be regained to change the course of the present's future trajectory. End quote. Here, Edward Curtin just basically sums up the whole debate around nostalgia, and throughout the article, and it is a somewhat lengthy piece, he makes a very good case for nostalgia because, as I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, nostalgia has become under attack more and more recently, I think, because a lot of people associated with a specific political faction or a specific ideology, again, they basically associate nostalgia with conservatives and conservatism in general, which is, I think, a wrong idea. Firstly, because being a conservative in itself is not some sort of, you know, something that you should be ashamed of. Uh, it's not a defect in someone someone's personality to to be politically conservative because being a conservative again depends on what that person means by being a conservative and what kind of ideas he or she are trying to conserve. So, just the de facto argument of associating nostalgia with conservatism in itself is not sufficient to give nostalgia a bad name. Nostalgia, I do understand, can actually be detrimental to progress because holding on to the past too much, holding on to dated ideas, ideas that have proven to be ineffectual or harmful in any way, is not a good thing. So if that's what someone means by nostalgia, then yes, nostalgia in that sense is not productive or is not a positive thing. But like Curtin says in this article, nostalgia can also mean that you want to create a better future, you want to build a better future by reminding yourself of those or of those good aspects that have been lost and that you have experienced maybe as a child or as a younger person or in, 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 in books that, that talk about an age that you actually never lived through. So learning from these ideas, concepts, thinkers who represent some aspects of the past can actually be a very positive productive and progressive way of thinking because you are using ideas from the past or you are using the best of the past to 
progress to a better future and to build new ideas. So that in itself is progressivism of a sort. Um, so nostalgia can be har- harmful, but like Curtin says in, in his article, Nostalgic for the Future, and like I personally believe, nostalgia can actually be a very positive thing. It can actually be an aid psychologically because, again, when you're down, when you are living through tough, manic times, times that are drowned in bad ideas, that are drowned in heated arguments that, are, that aren't leading anywhere or arguments that are not based on good thinking or free thinking or common sense or logic, your escape can be in remembering better times, times that have proven to be good, that you experienced yourself or you, you experienced through other people's experiences in books or texts or movies or, or, or whatever medium. And through this escape to a positive place, to a place that fills you with a kind of positivity and joy, you can actually build and come out of of that darkness and persevere and try to make the present and the future a better place. I'd like to end this episode with a clip from one of my favorite classic comedies, Scared Stiff, released in 1945 and starring the great Jack Haley from the MGM adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, released in 1939. It's a delightful movie for all ages and it's available online for free on many streaming sites. Thanks for listening. And please join me again on the Dark Fantastic Podcast. Operator. Operator. It's dead, I tell you. Somebody tampered with it. The whole switchboard's dead. Yeah, so's that guy out in the bus. A man, the one who sat next to you, murdered. Well, I've got to go. Murdered? He's gone. Somebody swiped the corpse. That's him. That's the guy who was sitting next to the body. Now, wait a minute, please. I was playing chess. That settles it. That stiff had a chessman clutched in his hand. I know it. I saw it. Just a minute. You were sitting right next to him, so you better tell us what really happened. The sheriff will be here any minute, and we don't want to be involved. Like I've been telling you right along, I was playing chess with an Eskimo. Eskimo? What's his name? Utu Yak. Spelled sideways, it's still phony. I know he's telling the truth. Miss hmm. Warren saw the Eskimo. No, she didn't either. He was... Oh. Very interesting, isn't it, Professor? Very. Are you getting frightened, Mr. Elliot? Why should he be frightened? Yeah, why should I be frightened? Someone in this room is a murderer. No telling who may be next on his list. It should be fascinating studying your reactions. Reactions to what? Fear. Fear stimuli. All right, all right, Oliver. We don't need any stimuli from you. The bus driver's gone for the sheriff. 
He'll be here soon. In the meantime, everybody go to your room. And stay there. Here, you. You go to the room we gave you. Look, I've got to get to Grape City. You're still frightened, huh, Mr. Elliott? And if I don't get there tonight, I'll lose my job. Where you're going, you won't need any job. Where I'm going, I won't need... Will you get out of here? Come on, Larry. You've been listening to The Dark Fantastic Podcast. Ahmed Khalifa is a filmmaker and novelist. He is the writer-director of several short films and a feature, released on Netflix, and the author of a number of novels and short stories, including Beware the Stranger, available on Amazon.